I'm 34 now, and I know what you're thinking. Uh, I don't look nearly that young, but uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes in my life, when I turn 30, um, you guys took me a huge birthday party. You brought in one of my mentors to preach for us that day. We had a big party that night. We had Mexican food, and you all told mean things about me, funny things about me. Um, but many of you were there. It was a huge day. It was a huge celebration when I turned 30. Then there was another birthday when I turned 24. Uh, I, my birthday, uh, when I turned 24, was on the day that Hurricane Rita hit. No one remembered my birthday. I didn't remember my birthday. Obviously, there was something bigger going on at that time. My, everybody in my life forgot. You didn't tell me happy birthday. For the next year, I couldn't figure out how old I was. I kept thinking I'm supposed to be 24, but I'm still 23. But I, I was very confused for an entire year until I turned 25 the next year. And I realized, oh, wait, you're 25. So I got two years of being 23. It was very nice. I recommend you try it sometime. <laughs> but you know, sometimes in our life, celebrations are bigger than others. Doesn't mean the day is less important. It just means that sometimes you celebrate them bigger and sometimes you celebrate them smaller. You think about your wedding anniversary. Your first anniversary was a huge deal. Your second anniversary, you were just glad you made it. But then after you've been married 10, 20 years, you, 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 don't make them, you, you don't go to Hawaii every year, at least most of us that, that uh, you know, most of us lower middle class Americans don't, right? But on the 10th year and the 15th year and the 20th year, there are times when you celebrate bigger. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? And when I woke up yesterday morning, it's not that I didn't value today because I very much do. It's, it's, a, it's a huge part of the core of, of who I am, but it didn't I hadn't planned to really celebrate with you today. And when God woke me up, he said, hey, there's a birthday tomorrow. And I think you ought to celebrate it, Randon. And I was like, uh, okay, Jesus. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. The title of our sermon is just simply this, the day it all began. The day it all began. On this day, thousands of years ago, your life changed and you didn't even know it. On this day, the world changed, and the world didn't even know it. The, 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 the entire outlook of everything across this globe was going to change, and it didn't even know what had happened. This is the day that everything began. Let's pick up in um, Acts chapter 2. Are you intrigued yet? Okay. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost... All the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone, say everyone, present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Today we celebrate the day of Pentecost. We call it Pentecost Sunday. But what is Pentecost? What are we celebrating? What does it mean? To get the full concept of uh, an understanding of what happened in Acts chapter 2, we have to go back 
to learn what the Jews were celebrating and what was happening. Because here's the way the Bible works. There is the Old Testament and there is the New Testament. And many things in the Old Testament are a type or a shadow of what is going to happen and be fulfilled in the New Testament. So there's the Old Testament thing that happened. For instance, and we'll talk about this, was the Passover. Uh, And this was where they sacrificed the lamb and they put, put the blood on the doorpost so the angel of death, when he passed over, would not uh, take their firstborn son. And the lamb gave his life to cover uh, the Israelites. That's called the Passover. Literally getting the word from the angel passed over their house. You fast forward to the, 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 the New Testament and Jesus is the fulfillment of that Passover. Jesus came as the Lamb of God. He was sacrificed on a cross. And when His blood was shed, when you apply it to the doorpost of your life, when, when the angel of death passes over, when your time comes and you're standing before the throne of judgment, but the blood of Jesus is covering you, and now your sins are forgiven and washed away. And so Jesus, are you tracking with me? Is the, in the Old Testament, the, there is the, the Passover meal and the Passover lamb. You fast forward thousands of years, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that in the New Testament. And so the Israelites... Uh, according to the instructions of God in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, um, God set up certain days that he wanted them to celebrate and remember every year. They had a lot of feasts or holidays, if you would, but there were three main ones. There were three big ones. And on each of these three, uh, the, every Israelite man was required to go on a pilgrimage from wherever he lived to the temple or to the tabernacle or to Jerusalem and bring an offering, bring a sacrifice, whatever it was, depending on uh, that holiday. And they were required to come every year. The three big ones were this. I just talked about the first one. It was the Passover. The second one we're celebrating today, it is Pentecost. Uh, And we'll talk about more about what that means. The third one is the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. Now, all you eschatological lovers just said, ooh. Pastor just said Feast of Trumpets. Is he going to talk about the second coming of the Lord? No, he's not. But the Feast of the Trumpets returns, uh, foreshadows when Christ will return at the end of the world. All right? So, Passover is Jesus dying on a cross. Are you with me? And being resurrected. Then there's Pentecost, which we're celebrating today. And then there is the Feast of the Trumpets, which has not happened yet, has not been fulfilled yet, but, it, but that refers to the returning of God. So, what is Pentecost? The Israelites come out of Egypt. Um, Moses leads them out. Uh, after the, the Passover took place, he leads them out. And they get to Mount Sinai, where some incredible things happen. Pentecost has, the the Feast of Pentecost has several names. First of all, the word Pentecost literally means 50 days, 50 days. So Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. That's when Pentecost is every year. 50 days after the uh, Passover is when Pentecost is. That's where we get the word Pentecost. 
because it means 50 days. It's also called the Feast of Weeks. The reason it's called called the Feast of Weeks is because God literally said seven weeks after uh, Passover, you will have a feast. Okay, so it's called the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks. In those weeks, they came out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. God turned the, the bitter water into sweet water. He provided manna from heaven. He, he gave them water from a rock. Uh, they, they warred with the Amalekites. All these things happened in the seven weeks after they walked uh, after the Passover night. Are you tracking with me? So seven weeks. So the Passover was one day. How many days are there in seven weeks? 49. Seven times seven. So there's one day for the Passover, 49 days, that means 50 days, okay? And so on the, on the 50th day is Pentecost. So it's called the, the Feast of Weeks. It's called the Feast uh, of Pentecost. It's also called the Feast of Harvest. And this is the first thing I want you to get today. It's one of the reasons that I love this day, uh, and, and I want to talk about it with you. It's called the Feast of Harvest. So what would happen was, it was at this time that they had just received uh, the first fruits of the harvest, specifically the harvest of wheat. And so on this day, as they left the desert and went into the promised land, to the land of Canaan, where they were now becoming uh, farmers, where they were learning to live as farmers and ranchers, not as people in the desert just relying upon God. I want you to notice the change here. In the desert, uh, God was working on them, and he would, they were totally relying upon Him. But when they went into uh, the promised land, they were engaged in the process. We'll come back to that later. And He said, I want you to bring me the first fruits of your grain, or the first fruits of your wheat harvest. So He called it the the feast of harvest. And every man was required by law to bring an offering of the first fruit to God, to the house of God, every single year. So I want you to note now, because this could get expensive. Imagine if you had to go on a long trip, bring your whole family, bring your kids, bring your donkey, bring your lamb, bring everything, and you had to go one month, and then you turn back around, you don't even have time to recover before you're going back again. But that's what they had to do. Why the Feast of Harvest? Why is this so important? What, what does it reflect to? What, what, is it, what, is it, uh, what does it look like on the day of Pentecost? So let's think about the story. Jesus had a lot to say on harvest. Je- Jesus talked about harvesting quite a bit. Let me give you just two verses. In, in, in the book of Luke, chapter 10, Jesus said it like this. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. At another point in John chapter 4, verse 35 and 36, he said, four months, uh, you've, you know the saying, four months being planted, planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around, the fields are already ripe for harvest. And, and he said, just in case you're confused on what we're talking about, the harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. gives us a picture of what's about to happen at Pentecost. Jesus says, the harvest is already ripe. They didn't know what he meant. They didn't know what he was talking about. But he's saying, it's people brought to eternal life. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. 
I read you the story. Rushing mighty windstorm comes in, divided tongues of fire, and, and they start speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit fills each and every one of them, every single one of them. And, and I, love, uh, I, I love it here. The Bible says they were all sitting there. They weren't going crazy. They weren't bombarding the heavens. They were sitting but they were in one mind and one accord, and God showed up. You know what? It, it, it doesn't take work to receive the Holy Spirit. You just receive. You just, you just get in position and, and, and get in the right place at the right time, and God will show up in your life. So then they, 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 they come out, and the people are looking at them like they're drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and you are drunk. And, and Peter stands up, and he says, these are not drunk as you suppose. And he begins to preach to them from Joel chapter 2. And he be begins to declare that, the, that what has just happened. And at the end of his sermon, the, thousands of people say, what should we do then? You know the story in Acts chapter 2. And, and Peter says, repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized. So watch here. They, they, they believed, and then they were water baptized, and then, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Watch this. 3,000 were added to the church that day. That 3,000 was the first fruits of the harvest that God was bringing. You see, on this day, the church was born. There, there wasn't a church before this. There were some godly people. They were, they, but they were running scared. And Jesus had to come back from the grave in his resurrected form and help them. But on this day, 2,000 years ago, the church was born. You know, one of the things we're celebrating today is the birthday of the church. The church is not perfect, but she is strong and she is doing good in this world and she's making an impact and she doesn't get everything right but today is her birthday and I think we ought to celebrate the body of Christ and the church because Jesus thought it was important that he, enough that he said listen go wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit is coming because he knew the church was going to be born right there it was for this body that Jesus gave his life, and he talked about it. He loved her. We'll, we'll talk about this more in a minute. But today we celebrate the birth of the church. So, it was the Feast of Harvest. What else can we learn? Um, the other thing that happened, when they got to Mount Sinai, seven weeks later, they, they arrive at the base of Mount Sinai. And God is ready to do some things for them. And the first thing he wants to do is he wanted to give them law or what the, what the Jews refer to as the Torah, which is the books of law. He said, I want to give you law. I want to give you order. I want to give you a way of living. I want to give you a way of thriving. I want to give you laws that will teach you not just how to make it in the promised land, but how to survive and multiply in the promised land. And he said, so he gave them the law. So they, they come to the base of Mount Sinai. And God says to Moses, he says, basically what I want you to do is I want you to set up a rope around the base of the mountain so that no one can come too close. 
And he said, gather all the people. So all of the Israelites gather around Mount Sinai. And in this moment, suddenly God, a cloud comes down. Fire is raining from heaven. There's a massive storm going on with, with wind and thunder and lightning and all kind of craziness. And the mountain's on fire. And this booming voice comes out. And God begins speaking the first part of the Torah, which is the first ten commandments. And he is speaking. And God gets in the middle of the second commandment and the people start backing up and they're like, nope, I'm out. I find it funny that God had Moses set up a barrier so they couldn't get there, but the people were running away. And they say, Moses, please. This God is too much for us. We need you to be our mediator. We need you to be our go-between. You, you, you go get the Torah for us and bring it back. <laughs> Moses says, okay, I'll do it. And God speaks all ten of the first ten commandments. Not only does he speak them, but he writes them on tablets of stone. Now, when you study Jewish writings, um, ancient Jewish writings tell us that he actually wrote them on tablets made of blue sapphire. They represented heaven and the throne of God, meaning these came straight out of the throne room in heaven. But here's some powerful things. And, and I, don't, I don't know this to be true. I'll just tell you what Jewish tradition says, okay? So don't go out and say, this is, what the, this is what pastor said, and it's not in Exodus 1. This is just what uh, Jewish teachings and writings say. But they say that not only was it made of blue sapphire, but when, when the finger of God wrote on these stones. He, he wrote all the way through from one side to the other. Okay, so, so the writing, imagine if you took a piece of paper and you went all the way through to the other side. Here's what's amazing about that. In the Hebrew, in the language in which it was written, some of the insides of the letters float. Think about an R. Okay, if you cut out an R, that middle piece would fall, right? But Jewish writing says they floated in the middle of the tablet. Not only that, and I can't, I can't get this through my mind, but you know if you, if you take a piece of paper and, and you were to cut out all the way through on this side and you, and you wrote a word, let's say you wrote your name, when you flipped it around to this side, it would come all the way through, but it would read backwards, Right? But here's what the Jews say. The Jewish uh, uh, historians say that not only did you read it correctly from this side, but you could turn it to the other angle and you read it perfectly from that side as well. You can understand why the Jews were like, no, Moses, you go ahead. <laughs> like, I, that's a floating R and sapphire, and I'm reading it from both sides, and I'm going to stay back here. I was like, like, you do you, and uh, you just tell us what God says. <laughs> That's like the original, oh my God moment. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so the Feast of Pentecost, the, the, the Feast of Weeks, is a celebration in the Old Testament of when God gave the Torah or God gave the law. Are you with me now? So let's fast forward uh, to the New Testament. Um, remember, there was 
thunder and a lightning and smoke and fire and wind and a shofar's blasting and God speaking the Ten Commandments and Moses is their middleman and all this is going on, we get to the day of Pentecost. The day when they gathered around to, to celebrate the giving of the law and to remember the, the covenant that they had with God and with His law. So here's followers of Christ. They're celebrating the Pentecost, thanking God for giving them the law, for giving them His word. And suddenly, a rushing windstorm comes in the room, and it's rattling the place, almost like the same storm that happened on Mount Sinai. And then divided tongues of fire come out of the sky and it lands on each of their heads almost like the fire that was on the top of Mount Sinai that was encapsulating the entire mountain. And then they, 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 the, the hand of God that had written on the stone, He sends down the Holy Spirit. And there's no need for a mediator called Moses because the Holy Spirit steps in. And now God doesn't write His law on stones, but according to Jeremiah 31 in the book of Hebrews, God wrote on the hearts of men. In a, in a bit of divine irony, the Israelites are gathering to uh, reaffirm their commitment to the covenant of Moses, but the Holy Spirit is descending upon Israel to offer the promise of the new covenant to all believers, and this new covenant makes the Torah or the law a matter of the heart. So when we come here on this day, what we have to realize is it's on this day that God removed laws that were written on stone and, and, and that were trying to be forced upon us that we could never live up to. And he said, let me, let me put the Holy Spirit in your heart that out of your heart you would live according to my ways. Not because you have to or you'll be punished if you don't, but because it comes from your heart and you will want to. And the fruit of your life will be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost put God's law in my heart. And I'm grateful for that. Let me keep going here. The Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish writings, it's got their codes, it's got their ordinances, it, it has their laws in it, and it's a collection. It's been around for thousands of years. It's what they go by. It refers to the day of Pentecost as a marriage day. Well, we talked about it being the birthday of the church. But what is it a, what, why is it a marriage day? Because they say this. On that day, there was a covenant of marriage established between God and His people. So it was God being married to His people. And the marriage contract or the marriage covenant, covenant was the law of Moses. Yesterday, I, I mentioned that we had the opportunity to uh, marry uh, Kim and Caleb, or Caleb and Kim, uh, and we, it, was, it was a wonderful day, and, and Pastor Brandon did a fabulous job, and he led them in a marriage covenant, and he led them through vows, 
I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. And then Kim came back and said, I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. And then Caleb said, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Like, literally. And, <laughs> and there, was a, there was this marriage that took place. There was two people involved, and there was this contract or covenant or these vows that they took together. And so when the, when the Jewish people look at the Feast of Pentecost, they see this marriage between God and, and the Israelites and the contract or the vows, if you would, being the law of Moses. Everybody with me? All right, so let's fast forward. Acts chapter 2, it's another marriage. And if you read the book of Revelation, the church, which was born on this day, is called the Bride of Christ. And so we have another marriage where God married the church. Here, here's what they say. Here's what they say. Um, Passover was the engagement. Passover was God saying, I want you to marry me, and I'm going to do, I'm going to make it easy on you, whatever it takes. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, marry me, come into covenant with me, right? This is the blood of the new covenant, which was shed for the remission of sins. You don't have to work for it. You just, just come in. It was, it was the proposal or the engagement, if you will. And just like a bride counts down the days from her engagement to her wedding, so the church and must count down the days. And, and the Israelites counted down the days between Passover, the engagement, and, and Pentecost, the marriage wedding ceremony. Are you with me now? So it's a marriage between Christ and the church. It's our wedding day. It's our wedding anniversary. On this day, we remember that we are in covenant with our Savior. We are in covenant with the God who created the heavens and the earth. It's on this day that we remember that and we recognize. And listen, we are the, 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 covenant, the, uh, the, the, uh, the covenant contract is not about a book of laws anymore, but it's about He gave us the Holy Spirit to stand between us and God and connect us and to be the covenant. I just receive the Holy Spirit. We're the bride of Christ, and you know, um, my wife slipped out and went to our other campus. Um, I, I love my wife. She is incredible. She is intelligent. She is smart. She is funny. Um, she, she is beautiful. Did I say that already? Okay, just make it. I want to say that twice. Um, she is stunning, and and she is the love of my life, no doubt about it. But you know what? She's also human. And she's flawed. And she doesn't get it right all the time. And sometimes she hurts herself. And sometimes she hurts other people. <laughs> oh, that's good right there. I hope you got that on camera. Um, but, but sometimes she's not perfect. And if you're married in the room today, you know, I love this person with all of my heart. But mm, some, these, some days... You know, if you're upset with my wife and you say something to me about it, I can handle it. But when you just keep going on and on and on 
and on. And you're attacking my wife and talking about how horrible she is and everything she's done wrong. At some point, shut your mouth. And listen, let me tell you something I learned early on. Very early on in my life, I learned that getting hit in the mouth does not feel well. So every fight I got into, I determined I'm going to end it quickly and run. So I fight dirty and I don't even care. But at some point, it's my wife, and, and, and just shut up and let it go. She's not perfect, and neither are you. And, it, it, and, and when I look at the church and I hear we're talking about the church and we're hating on the church and we're, we're, we're lying about the church and we're mad at everybody and we're upset here and we're upset there, I wonder if Jesus isn't looking down from heaven and going, would you shut your mouth? That's my wife you're talking about. No, she's not perfect because she's filled with human, fallible people that mess up, but she's still my wife. And on this day, if no other day, I think we ought to celebrate the bride of Christ and lift her up and talk good about her and bless her. If we don't do it ever again on this day, we should. I I, I just get to the point where I've heard enough about what's wrong with the church. How about we talk about what's right? off the soapbox for a moment. It's a marriage day. Since the church is the bride of Christ, maybe we ought to stop beating her up and start building her up. One more thing about Pentecost. Pentecost represents the completion of the Pentecost uh, of the Passover season. It represents the completion of the season. It was an official end to the to the Passover season. Passover represents the redemptive work of God. He bought them back from slavery. He brought them out of slavery. He redeemed them out of from where they were to, and would t- began bringing them to where he wanted them to be. It was the redemptive work of God to redeem them. It was the saving work of God. It, it, was, it was that part of it. But God also knew that they didn't just need a redemptive work, a Passover. They needed an official end. They needed something to say, you know what? You're redeemed. Stop living like a slave. Stop thinking of yourself as a slave. You're not a slave anymore. I have redeemed you. Here's what I want to say to you. If Passover is the redemption and the salvation, here's what, here's what we've got to know in our lives today. Since Passover is completed, stop living like a slave, like a, like a sinner, Stop viewing yourself like you're a horrible person and every day you get up, you need to be redeemed again. He's already redeemed you. You don't need another redemption. You need need a Pentecost in your life. Because here's what God said. He said, I don't want to just redeem you. I want to fill you with power. I, I I want to get you full of the Holy Spirit. I want you to get you ready to take on the world. And so we got to stop getting up every day. Oh, 
I'm just a poor, pitiful sinner in need of a redemptive work of God. He already completed it right there. And once you've given your life to him, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, stop living in Egypt and get to Pentecost. That's what you need in your life. You need a day when you're full of the Holy Spirit and power and purpose and presence of God. He knew, and because he knows in our life, we come in and we get saved. But then the devil starts lying to you. Oh, nothing happened there. You're still a sinner. Hey, I don't know what prayer you just said with the pastor that day, but nothing changed in your life. Nothing went away. You're still the person you always were. And God said, you know what? I'm going to put a Pentecost in your life to celebrate the end of a season and the beginning of something new. I want to speak over your life today that on this Pentecost Sunday, things are ending that God might do a new thing in your life. Old habits, old mindsets, old worries, old doubts, old problems, old addictions, old things. It is ended today. You don't need redemption any longer. You've already been redeemed. Now you need a Pentecost experience in your life. You need the Holy Spirit. I wish I could get a great big amen this morning. You need the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 and 8, one more verse. Um, Three things that the Holy Spirit brings. Acts 1 and 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling me people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, uh, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is one of my absolute most favorite scriptures in all the Bible. I know they say that to you a lot, but this is probably it right here. I mean it this time. I, I love this verse. And in it, I want to see, I want, there's so much that the Holy Spirit does, but I want to give you a quick three. A quick three, why you need the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit gives you power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The word here is the Greek word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. Here's what God's saying. You're going to have dynamite power in your life. You're going to have miraculous power in your life. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the working of miracles, the healing, uh, the prophesying, all those things, the words of wisdom, all these things. You have access to those in your life. When you study scripture, both from the Old Testament to New, when, when the Holy Spirit Spirit, when the Spirit of God came upon a person, go read 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, where Samuel prophesies over Saul, and he says, you're going to go, and you're going to find some people, and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and when he does, you're going to prophesy, and you're going to be turned into another man. You're going to do things you never thought possible, and no one else thought possible either. As a matter of fact, when he did what God said he was going to do, the people looked at him and said, my God, can Saul prophesy too? Let me speak this word over you. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon your life, you'll do things you never thought you could do. You'll have more power at your disposal because of the God that is on the inside of you than you ever thought you could have. And people will be looking at you and say, I never thought he could do anything with his life. But you look around. I never thought he could make that happen. I never thought he could write that way. I never thought he could get that promotion. I never thought he could finish school. And yet look at where you are. Not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Power. Number two, presence. Presence, presence. Notice he said, He'll come upon you. He'll get involved with your life. The, the Holy Spirit, the whole point was that God was going to get in you. 
Peter said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Get it in you. God wants a relationship with you, and he does that through the Holy Spirit. He wants to have a relationship with you. Not, not just, well, see, you see, in the Old Testament, God had a relationship with some key characters. Moses, Abraham, uh, Jacob, uh, some, some others when you study the book of Judges or the prophets, but the high priest. But for most of us, we had no relationship with God. We were dependent upon someone else's relationship. When, they were, when the fire came down from the mountain, it was one fire, and, and God ended up speaking just to one man. But here's what happened. With the Holy Spirit, it divided. It went to everyone individually because God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to go through me. He wants to speak to you. Now listen, if you won't listen, he'll use me. But what he really wants to do is have a personal relationship with you through the, through, the, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And number three is purpose. Purpose. Power, presence, but also purpose. God gives us purpose in so many ways, so many things that he wants us to do in our life. But at the core of all of those, of every person in this room, I don't care what your job description says. I don't care what your leadership title might be in this church. Every one of us, when we receive the Holy Spirit as, as people in the kingdom of God, sons of God, we have this purpose in our life as a foundation. But put Acts 1 and 8 back up there for me again. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You haven't known how to talk to people about Jesus. Maybe you even thought, I'd like to, but I'm scared to. Don't worry about it. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be. This is not like a, I suggest you be. No, this is what God says. It's a statement of fact. You will be my witnesses. And that's exactly what happened with the disciples and those that were filled with the Holy Spirit. They suddenly, they didn't know what to do, but suddenly they became witnesses. And I want you to notice right here, um, traditionally, we read this and we see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, okay? And you look at a map and you see, starting in Jerusalem or starting with the people closest to you, working out to Judea, which is maybe your, uh, some of your friends. So maybe we start with your immediate family, then we go to some of your friends, uh, co-workers, things like that. Then we go to Samaria, some people you're uh, in contact with, and then we go to the ends of the earth, right? And so we see here the layers of relationships. All of us have uh, layers of relationships in our lives. Some are close, some are far away. You tracking with me? And we see that clearly here. Can you see what I'm saying? Well, let me speak something else to you today. Let's think about what's going on in these, in these places. This is Jesus talking, and he says, the first place you're going to be a witness to me is in Jerusalem. It was in Jerusalem that the people hated Jesus. They lied about Jesus. They talked about Jesus, and they crucified Jesus. The first place you'll be a witness to is the people that hate you. Suddenly, you'll be a light in their life. The people that have talked about you and tried to blow up your world, you'll be a light for Jesus in their lives. 
The church began right there in Jerusalem. 3,000 added to the church right in the place where they said, crucify him. Now we believe. I want to speak over you, people that once hated you, coming to Jesus through the light of Christ in your life. Number two, Judea. It's in Judea that they rejected Jesus. Um, they wouldn't hear his teaching. They wouldn't receive miracles from him. Um, they rejected him in great degree. They said no to Jesus. So here's what he said. To people who have previously said no to me, through you they're going to say yes. Can I speak this over you? People who have said no in your life before, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the power and you become a witness for him, something in you is going to force them to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you've been praying for a husband that has said never. I'm never going to church with you. I don't want anything to do with it. Can I just say, he may have said no before, but something is changing and the moment is coming when you're going to be a witness to him and a light to him. And it's the Holy Spirit in you that's going to get a hold of him. And he said no before, but a yes is coming. Get ready. Samaria. Samaria was made up of people who were less than. They were called half-breeds. Um, that they were unworthy, unfit. Uh, they, they were pushed down and pushed aside. They were, they, were, they were low on the scale. They were walked over and ridden over and, and all these things. And here's what God said. You're going to be a witness to the down and, and, the, and the trodden and the weak and the hurting people. You're going to be a witness to them. When you see people hurting in your world, that's the Samaria. And he said, you're going to be a light to them. You're going to bring uh, help and peace and healing to them. Are there hurting people in your life that need Jesus? That's the Samaria. You're going to be a witness. And then finally, to the ends of the earth. He's, he's referring to the Gentiles. And, and the way the Jews thought at this time, and even many of the disciples, until Paul came along and God spoke directly to Peter, basically the Gentiles were hopeless. They were beyond the reach of God. There are people in your world that are hopeless, seem beyond reach, beyond the ability to help. They've gone too far. Something in their life totally disqualifies them. God said, not so fast. You're going to be a witness for them when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need the power of God in your life. I, if you were to, and you've heard me say this before, if you were to read the New Testament, if you were to read the New Testament without any preconceived ideas, you would finish reading that and you would say, there is no way that the early church made it through and reached the world and saw what they saw and did what they did without the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And you would say, I want that. On this day, we celebrate the birth of the church. We celebrate our marriage to Christ and we celebrate that God gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. But so many of us 
are trying to live just on the Passover, not on Pentecost. In Acts chapter 19, verse 2, Paul is coming through and he, and he goes through Ephesus and he finds some believers and he asked them this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. You see, it is possible that you receive salvation but never got to the next step, which was, which, which was the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you today, maybe you've come here and you believe. Maybe you don't. In a moment, I'll give you a chance. We can fix that in just a moment. But, but you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I've believed and I've been trying to do this thing without the Holy Spirit. And when I ask you this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Your answer is, I don't think so. In a moment, I want to open these altars today. I want to speak over your life, and I want to declare that you're about to receive the Holy Spirit. Power, presence, and purpose. But I begin with this. Have you ever believed? Did you lose your belief? Are you in need of a Passover of a redemption today? I'm going to ask everyone in this room to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Those watching on the line, please do the same. If you need to believe in Jesus today, maybe you lost your belief somewhere along the way. In the, in the trials of life, in the struggles of life, you lost your belief. You tried, but you lost it. I want to pray for you today that you can get back on track with Jesus, that you can get a new and a fresh start with him. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I see hands going up. I see hands going up. If you're watching online, I want to pray for you. Raise your hand. No, I can't see it, but God does. It's a sign to him. God, I want a new start with you. All right? Let's, you can put your hands down. Everyone repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. Now forgive me of all of my sins. Wash me clean. Be the Lord of my life. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.